The following is a presentation of the Belly Up Sports Media Network. Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we'd go belly up, so we made it our name, and we're still here. Coming up on the Behind the Mic Podcast, in the history of the Super Bowl, quarterbacks that have reached the big game, win or lose, you had no idea what their careers were going to be. Sometimes we ought to just enjoy the story. You're behind the mic with Michael Neal Jr. All right, (laughs) I'm fresh, I'm rested, I got papers. Yeah, microphone works. I'm on vacation this week. That means I can actually get this show done in time and on time. It is Tuesday. Uh, Look, let's get this thing started. NFL historians, lovers of sports history across the universe. Welcome in. This show is for all of you. You guys, you gals, doesn't matter. It's cool if you already know this stuff. Look, congratulations if you already do. Clap it up for them. Yeah, celebrate them. They already know it. Yeah. Uh, but look, remember this, there's always someone else who doesn't. This show is for those who don't know as much about NFL history. That's the reason why I'm here. And I'm here to do three things mainly, and that is enlighten, teach, and learn. It is the Behind the Mic podcast. I am your host, Michael Neal Jr. 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 I'm so country. I'm your host, Michael Neal Jr., uh, presented by Belly Up Sports, Belly Up Media, Belly Up Sports Podcast Network. Check us out on bellyupsports.com. Go to it. Click on it. Check out the stories. We have great writers as well as the shows, all genres of sports. And uh, you can catch us on our home base of Megaphone, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, you know, the favorites. Everybody likes to listen to Amazon Music, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, YouTube, you name it. I'm not on YouTube yet. I'm working on that. I know I keep saying that. Please don't kill me. I'm going to show my mug at some point. Um, let's get this thing started. So I thought long and hard about what I was going to do this week because there's no games to preview. There is no rundown. We'll get back to that next week uh, after the Super Bowl. It's Super Bowl week. And uh, everything leading up to it has really pointed to one story that's been a rock, not a pebble, a rock in my shoe. Um, Brock Purdy, you know, with all the whether you are on the side of negative or positive, I prefer positive, but then there's those who are overly positive. We'll deal with that in a second. Uh, is he a game manager? Is he actually good? A system quarterback, two of those three terms I cannot stand, but you know, I'm not doing it. I respect the fact, me personally, that he actually made it to the NFL, he's played well. For the second consecutive year, he's gotten the 49ers to the NFC Championship game. This year, you know, they made it to the Super Bowl. Um, you know, so th- this is where I'm at. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to enjoy the moment. You know what I mean? And second consecutive year that he's they, he's been the quarterback and they have had success. Okay? Five starts last year. Then he goes in to the playoffs all the way to the NFC Championship game. And in my opinion, I believe they probably had beaten, they would have beaten the Eagles, or at least had a greater chance had he not blown his elbow 
uh, in the first quarter of that game. He's played in, what, 25 games, uh, over 20 starts. The kid has completed 68% of his passes, 44 touchdowns, and only 15 interceptions. And according to ProFootballReference.com, I think he's, what, 18-4, 17-4 as a starter? He's got a winning record. Um, it's too early to stamp anybody on the forehead. I hate when people do that. You know, the problem um, it really is this, and I heard Colin Cowherd say this the other day, and it's something that I have a similar t- opinion on. Look, everybody wants to be first to a story, right? But And first to, to say something, but nobody wants to get it right. At some point, you just got to let something breathe. It's the reason why they say, what, hindsight is twenty twenty. Make that assessment at the end. Don't try to stamp somebody uh, and try to kill and stamp on somebody's head so so quickly. I understand that it's fun to do this stuff. I understand the business. I understand, you know, because I went to school for this stuff, okay? Uh, I understand the sports talk radio and television and the, and the big money guys and everyone that has these jobs to do this thing, and you're going to get the most eyes and ears when you say something that's going to pretty much tick somebody off. Um, I had a buddy that used to work, for, uh, work with me and um, his name was Jimmy. He's a Cowboys fan. He used to do this stuff on purpose. He used to just say stuff. You know, I remember as a Cowboys fan, and uh, he would say stuff like, you know, Deion Sanders, uh, he's not that great. You know, stuff like that. I mean, stupid talk, all right? Prime, don't kill him. Um, but it, it's just that that's kind of the business. Uh, I'm more of a Dan Patrick guy. I mean, I listen to a lot of sports talk radio, at least I used to on a regular basis. I still do. Uh, here and there. Um, I, I went to Dan Patrick school and everything too. I, I prefer stories. I, I love stories. I love storytelling and I prefer stories. I, I, I'm not really as much in the opinion business, um, even though I do have an opinion on things. Uh, but when you get and go down that road of opinion making, sometimes I don't think the people they're saying these things actually believe it. They just pick a side and say, let's go on TV or on radio and just do it. And then there's those who really do believe the crap that they say. You know, you hear and see it every day. But in the end, I mean, just say that, guys, he's been good. Brock Purdy has been good. He's done his job. I mean, the guy was Mr. Irrelevant, for God's sake. Seventh round, very last pick in the draft, 262. Pick 262. It's okay just to say that he's been good. It's all right to say that. And for those on the other side, the extreme, you know, positive side you know he's not Brady he's not Montana he's not any of these guys okay he's, he's Brock Purdy all right pump the brakes on all of this stuff on both sides uh what does amaze me is how you know you got people that like to tear down others and, and you know, it's saying they'd like to tear down people that quote-unquote aren't supposed to be good why can't you just enjoy the story what's wrong with that you know how many of these guys that have been picked first in all of these drafts uh, or in the first round, didn't even have a winning season, let alone have the numbers that Brock Purdy has had. And before you go to that pieces surrounding him and having all these guys in the coaching, I, I didn't know that Brock Purdy played golf. I mean, stop the presses. I mean, that's news to me. I swore he played a team sport. You know, I, I, I could have I swore that he did. You know, that requires coaching as well as players. Uh, the great ones before him and the ones after him, you know, they had exactly that. And they will have exactly that. One does not necessarily work without the other. Quick rant. When I did do a lot of opinionated type shows, there was a Super Bowl thing that I would say all the time. Okay. 
about Super Bowl winners. This is something that I, I came up on my own and I learned through the years on my own. You have to have at least two of three things to win a Super Bowl. And most of the better teams have all three. They're legendary ones anyway. Coach, quarterback, defense. There's no doubt that all the dynasties and great teams had all three. You got the 60s Packers and the 70s Steelers and the 80s 49ers, the 90s uh, Cowboys. I mean, even the New England Patriots had that. I understand that they didn't have a bunch of uh, all pros and pro bowlers on their defense, but they were a great uh, to a they're good to a great defensive team. Um, I mean, you know, they've they've got some guys uh, that's probably going to go into the Hall of Fame. Uh, we've, we've got some that's that's lined up. Even Rodney Harrison's on the finalist list, right? So, uh, but you ain't got to pick pick and prod. I mean, we look look at it. Just use your eyes. Sometimes they played good defense back then. Uh, even if you want to say their defense wasn't that great, they still had Brady and Belichick. You know, and it's it's just some some stuff should be common sense. They may not have had a bunch of Hall of Famers, but some stuff is common sense. Look at the '70s Dolphins, the '70s Raiders, even before the Super Bowls. All of these guys that's in the Hall of Fame, you know, they whether they played on both sides of the ball. I mean, from the 20s when the league was founded up until the mid-60s when they began, mid to late 60s when they began the Super Bowl era, right? Um, they had greats that were, they had to have three, two of three, and some had all three of those things. The Chicago Bears of the 40s, you think they didn't have George Hallis and Sid Luckman and all those grace that they had on, on their defensive side of the ball, you don't beat someone 73 to nothing as an NFL record for nothing. I mean, with, with not, without having a great defense as well as offense. Um, Purdy, though, this is the first one we've talked about like this. The history, in the history, rather, of the Super Bowl, there have been plenty of quarterbacks that have reached that big game, all right, on that big Super Bowl Sunday. Whether they won it or lost it, um, you had no idea what their careers were going to be. You had no idea. Some of them, they were okay as starters and they didn't last very long. In the end, you know what the problem is, though, what our problem is. We're just trained to think that the first pick of the draft or someone that's drafted first round as a quarterback, uh, they're supposed to be, maybe even the second round, they're supposed to deliver a Super Bowl. And I understand that, but and you would think that we'd be smart enough by now to figure this out, but that's just not the way history works. I mean, most of the time, someone that's picked in the first round, they're going to get there. I mean, most of the time. But you would kind of find out that the numbers are almost even. You know, it's more like 50, uh, 55, 45, you know, when it comes to first rounders and not first rounders. But it, that's just not the way history works. You know, no, not NFL history. And I go to my list, kick the music. So I compiled a list. Uh, and please forgive me if I forgot anybody, okay? If I forgot anyone from this list. And I'm totally going off the top of my head with a lot of this information. Uh, just over years of study and stuff that I've seen and, and reading and, and stuff that I've seen with my own eyes, all right? And, with, and heard with my own two ears. They all work. You know, you got first rounders that won, okay? And then non-first rounders that won. The first rounders that won, there are eight Hall of Famers on this list. 20 total, okay, 20. You had Joe Namath, Lynn Dawson, Bob Greasy, Terry Bradshaw, John Elway, Troy Eggman, Steve Young, and Peyton, Peyton Manning, 
right? These guys are all already in the Hall of Fame. You got a couple that may end up in the Hall of Fame one day. You got Big Ben. You got Aaron Rodgers. Patrick Mahomes, obviously, he's still young in his career, you know, but I think the kid is, he's going to get in, all right? He, he's too great. Well, maybe he's not young, young in, the, in his career. You know, he's already in his fourth Super Bowl. So, come on, you know, let's, let's not even play with it. But when you look at that list alone, I mean, and get into some of the details, all right, Joe Namath, he won Super Bowl three, even though he threw more interceptions than touchdowns. I mean, the guy was a great quarterback. Everybody agrees, and I understand, and even I've said it out of my own mouth, if he hadn't won Super Bowl three, he may not be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. But, I mean, he was a great quarterback nonetheless. Different time, right? Lynn Dawson, he played in the first two Super Bowls. And he actually played on another team before he came over to the Kansas City Chiefs and, and went to two Super Bowls in four years. Bob Greasy, he wasn't a passer until later on. This is after all of those, well, throwing the football a lot anyway. This is after the Larry Zonka and Jim Kick and, uh, you know, those years because, you know, what, around 77, going into 78, they lost uh, that some of that core to the World League, the World Football League that lasted, what, two years um, before some of them came back to the NFL. And he had to throw the football a lot back then, right? Terry Bradshaw, he was, let's just be honest, he was a bust. It wasn't very good. Uh, and even the year they won their first one in 74, if you Steelers fans know this, historians know this, uh, but you know, not everybody remembers that he was not the opening day starter. He lost his job to Jefferson Street Joe Gilliam, who started off the what the first three four games before he ended up getting pulled. And even that seventy four season for the Steelers, they were back and forth between Terry Bradshaw and Terry Hanratty out of Notre Dame. They couldn't figure it out, and it was more running the ball and stuff like that. He wasn't throwing the football to Swan and Starworth yet. I mean, they were rookies themselves, but that didn't happen to more like the 70, uh, what was it, the 76, 77, 78 seasons, especially in 78 when they opened up passing with the rules. But Bradshaw, the first pick in 1970, he was not great. <laughs> he was not great. So, you know, you have to look at it in perspective. John Elway didn't win his last two Super Bowls. He was 0 for 3 until he got a little bit more around to help him in his last two seasons in the league, okay? Troy Eggman, he was the epitome, and I just hear this over and over again, and I remember watching him play. I wouldn't, I have a problem kind of calling him a game manager, but he was, for all intents and purposes, a little more of a game manager. He was more like a Brock Purdy, <laughs> if I'm gonna be honest. And look at the touchdown passes. Go back and look at his numbers. I know they weren't throwing the football all over the place, but I mean, Michael Irvin's in there for a reason. He caught a lot of passes over a lot of years. He had Emmitt Smith. He had Nate Newton. He had, you know, you, had that, you got the triplets. He was a part of the triplets. And then that defense, remember that first year, they did not have a pro bowler on the number one defense in the league. See what I'm talking about? Coach Jimmy Johnson, quarterback Troy Aikman, and the number one defense in the league. They did not have a pro bowler on it. Think about those things. Then Steve Young, first round pick in the supplemental draft in 1984. Remember, he went USL first. And then that league went away. He ends up going uh, uh, going back to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers before. Ended up with the San Francisco 49ers. And, of course, when Montana got hurt in that, uh, what was it, 92? 
in the uh, 91, 92, in, in, in the offseason and couldn't throw. And he was still he, – he just healed up from Leonard Marshall knocking him out in the NFC Championship game. You know, with, with a broken finger and torn up shoulder. Yeah, it was not good. And then his Hall of Fame career took off from there, and he got a Super Bowl out of the deal. And you look at the rest of them on this list, Earl Morrill, he was picked in the first round way back when. It wasn't until he was 38 years old when he took over. Uh, well, I mean, he took over twice. Six teams he played for, but it was with Baltimore and Miami. Yes, he lost Super Bowl three to Joe Namath. And he was taking over for Johnny Unitas even then and won NFL MVP. But then he won it with Miami. He got two rings, mostly as a backup. But remember that 72 season, he started nine games, including two postseason games because Bob Greasy dislocated his right ankle and had a fracture in his right leg because Deacon Jones put it on him, put it all on him. And Morrill started most of that season. And then in the NFC Championship, uh, AFC Championship game, excuse me, in Pittsburgh, you know, the rules were a little bit different then. They weren't playing in Miami. Halftime, the game is tied at seven, and Shula makes the call, and Earl says, hey, look, I don't agree with it, but I'll go with whatever you say, coach. His coach with Baltimore, when they lost that season back in 68, he trusts Don Shula. He made the switch to Bob Greasy. They won the game. They finished the game undefeated, finished the season undefeated, 17-0, hasn't been broken. Jim Plunkett, he was the first pick in the draft, too. This guy did not win until he was a backup. Twice, 1980 with the Raiders on his third team. And then in 83, he wasn't the full season starter that year in 83. But he started two Super Bowls and played really well, especially in 80 when he won MVP. You got Jim McMahon, wasn't exactly the greatest passer in the world, but the dude could throw the football. And he did what Mike Dicker wanted him to do. And I would argue the 85 Bears would have repeated in 86 had there not been a dirty hit on McMahon that ended his season uh, against the Green Bay Packers. And Phil Simms, who was another first-rounder, shaky his first couple years, even though he had numbers to a degree, and he put it all together in Super Bowl 21 when he nearly went perfect in that game. 88% completion percentage. Yeah, so didn't turn it over. We'll talk about Doug Williams later. Uh, Trent Dilfer. Yeah, another one of those first-rounders that was the epitome of a system-slash-game manager. Yeah, he had, look, Trent, just don't throw in his, in it, any interceptions, okay? Don't do what you did in Tampa. Just hand the football off. This is with the Ravens. Just hand the football off, and we'll be fine, all right? And if we need a first down via your arm, okay. Eli, two miracles. Well, one of them was just a great pass by him to Mario Manningham on that sideline in that Super Bowl. And that second win against the Patriots. Yeah, that was great. And they needed to come uh two well come from behind game from him in that one as well as the first one. But he got it done. And again, you got Big Ben and Aaron Rodgers and Joe Flacco, Patrick Mahomes, and Matt Stafford. Stafford won one with his second team. And then the first the non-first round picks that won 13 total. Five of these guys are in the Pro Football Hall of Fame right now. And then, obviously, there's a list of a couple other ones like Drew Brees, Russell Wilson, and, of course, Tom Brady. They're going in one day. They're going in one day. You know, Bart Starr was a 17th-round pick, number 200. Right? He was the 200th pick in the NFL draft. Roger Staubach, 17th. 
Johnny Unitas, ninth. He was in the ninth round and discarded before the regular season even began by the Pittsburgh Steelers. Weeb Bank, they got the postcard from Unitas, basically like they did with hundreds of other guys that would want to try out. And the Baltimore Colts would try out about 50 to 60 guys every year to see who they would keep. And if they didn't keep anybody, they just didn't keep anybody. And Unitas was one that they kept. You know, so it rest is history. Joe Theismann, fourth round. Jeff Hosteller, we'll talk about him. He was a fourth rounder. Mark Rippin, sixth round. We'll talk about him later. Brett Favre was second round by the Falcons before his rights were shipped off to the Green Bay Packers. And he got his job via injury. So who was it? Don, Don Majowski? Kurt Warner, we'll talk about him. Undrafted. Undrafted. Brad Johnson, Nick Foles, late guys. And then there's the first rounders that lost. There's 15 of those versus 20 that won. So those numbers aren't that far apart. Joe Cap, number one, well, he was a first-round pick, 18th overall by Washington. Didn't look like he was going to make the team, so he ended up playing uh, from 1960 to 1966 in the CFL before he finally went to Minnesota. It was, what, the player of the year, NFL player of the year, and uh, they went to the Super Bowl. They lost to the Kansas City Chiefs, but Cap wasn't the best quarterback in the world, but he was one of those tough guys. We did a story on him a while back. God rest his soul. Craig Morton took two teams to the Super Bowl. He was the quarterback of two teams, the Cowboys and the Broncos. He lost both of them. Billy Kilmer with Washington. And then, of course, there's Tony Eason, Jim Kelly, Dan Marino, all selected in that great 1983 draft. Eason, some would say, probably had no business being picked in the first round. But again, hindsight, Jim Kelly, great out of Miami. Dan Marino, could have been number two, probably should have been number two or three if, if it wasn't for Eric Dickerson. Teams needing running backs instead of a quarterback in that spot. He fell to the right team. Um, Drew Bledsoe, number one overall pick, as well as Cam Newton, Jared Goff, and Joe Burrow. They were all number one overall picks. So, and they all got one appearance so far, right? Steve McNair, almost one yard short, right? Kerry Collins, yeah. It's, if you go back and think about that, it was all about the 2000 Ravens defense. You know, it was Trent Dilfer on one team and Kerry Collins with the New York Giants on the other. Right? Donovan McNabb was booed. Got him to a Super Bowl and plenty of NFC championships under Andy Reid. Right? Rex Grossman, one of those first rounders that just did not pan out. You know, Cam, you could have played a little bit better in the game that you were in. And then, of course, there's Matt Ryan, who was, what, number three overall? All I can say is 28 to 3. Um, then you got the low rounders that lost. I mean, you got some guys who were picked really low. Not a lot of those, but most of these people on this list are third, fourth, a bunch of seconds, third. Uh, then I got a ninth and an eighth and a twelfth. Well, we'll start with the singular Hall of Famer on this list was Fran Tarkin. He was in the third round between the Giants and then to the Minnesota Vikings. You know, and this is before he, he had a, his first stint with the Vikings. The second stint with the Vikings, he goes to three Super Bowls. He just ran into some of the best teams in the history of the league. Super Bowl eight, he lost to the Miami Dolphins. Super Bowl nine, the next year, he lost to the first team of the Steelers dynasty. And then the Raiders finally broke through in 76. And, of course, they played against the uh, Raiders pretty much in their own backyard in the Rose Bowl at Pasadena. And none of those games ended well for him. 
Daryl LaMonica, speaking of the Raiders, he was selected in the 12th round. Probably the lowest round draft pick on this. He is the lowest one on this list. Vince Ferragamo, he started against the, uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers in Super Bowl 14 for the Rams. He was the backup quarterback to Pat Hayden. Hayden hurts his hand, and I think Ferragamo and the Rams only lost like one game, I think, with him going through the regular season and the playoffs until, you know, they played against the Steelers. Arguably, and this was, I would say, this wasn't the best Steelers team, but it was an older Steelers team. Let's just say that. And um, I could argue that they could have won. Not should have won, they could have won. Ferragamo did not see Billy Waddy. Go back and watch it. Super Bowl 14 again, in Pasadena's Rose Bowl. The guy's wide open. He goes over the middle and uh, picked off by Jack Lambert. And then the Steelers take it down. Franco scores the the, the game, that, the, the touchdown that put it away. Ferragamo had a pretty good game that that we, uh, that that day. Didn't throw a touchdown pass, but that one interception folded them up like a tent. Jaws, his only Super Bowl lost to those 80 Raiders. Ooh. They beat in the regular season, but he did not have his best game. And penalties got them as well. You go back and watch that one, penalties got them as well. But their defense kind of let them down. They could not get to Jim Plunkett like they did in the regular season game where they sacked Jim Plunkett eight times. They protected Plunkett in that game. Plunkett won MVP and threw three touchdowns on him. So, Boomer, almost there. That offense didn't do really squat in that game, if you really go back and look at it. And if it wasn't for Stanford Jennings, uh, in, uh, was it the kickoff return? I mean, Boomer, he was all right. He was all right. But then Joe Montana starting that 92-yard touchdown drive to go ahead for good and uh, beat the Bengals. He's like, hey, look, there's John Candy. <laughs> That's pretty cool, right? Stan Humphrey, speaking of the 49ers, they got their heads beat in with the Chargers. He was in the sixth round. Chris Chandler, we'll mention him a little bit, him and Brad Johnson later. Third and ninth round picks. Jake DeLome as well, undrafted. Ken Anderson, he was there for the first of the 49ers dynasty Super Bowls, and that was in the Pontiac Silverdome. They had a chance to win that game. In the second half, it was more Bengals than it was 49ers. 49ers kicked a bunch of field goals in the second half of that game. And Anderson had himself a pretty good game. Neil O'Donnell, I'm still his fan. So let me shut up. You threw that one away against the Cowboys. I'll just say that. David Willie, we'll talk about him, eighth round pick. Rich Gannon, yeah, we'll talk about him when we talk about Brad Johnson. But he was a fourth round pick. And then, you know, he was with the Vikings all those years and ended up with the Raiders. He's got Tim Brown, a 40-year-old Jerry Rice. But that offense was on fire, man. Their offense was great. <laughs> it, it were, but he was terrible in that game. And then you got three second rounders in a row. You got Colin Kaepernick, Jimmy G, uh, speaking of 49ers, and then Jalen Hurts, all second round. And they all three of these guys had a chance. They actually had a chance to win their games. Cap couldn't complete the comeback. Jimmy G couldn't keep them in the game. And, you know, the, the incompletion uh, heard around the world. And then Jalen Hurts, you can't foam the football there, right? Can't do it. They can't do it. So, um, but looking at the rest of my notes, so I, I ran into this article and it was written, it was a New York Post article that did have one uh one bad uh piece of information 
about Jeff Hostetler. Hostetler did not take over for Phil Simms in 1986. Uh, Hostetler was somewhere else in 1986. I'll tell you where it was if you don't know. But this was 1990 when Hostetler took over for Phil Simms after he got hurt. Um, but it was a good article. Nonetheless, Brock Purdy, not a long shot quarterback, not the not a, the only long shot quarterback to start in the Super Bowl. And that's basically what it is. And I'm like, at this point, just enjoy the story, right? That's all you got to do. Enjoy the story. Uh, and it highlighted 12 quarterbacks. And I'll just give you the names. It, obviously, you got Tom Brady. This got guys like Chris Chandler. Brad Johnson, Kurt Warner, Jake DeLone, Mark Rippin, David Woodley, Jeff Hostelin, Doug Williams, Nick Foles, Matt Hasselbeck, and Rex Grossman. All these quarterbacks they talked about as being long shots that, you know, got to the Super Bowl. Not necessarily playing in the Super Bowl game. They're long shots to win it. Of course, some of them were. But you can't say that about Brock Purdy because as of right now, I haven't looked at the line lately. It's Tuesday. The last time I saw the line, the 49ers are favored by two points. So, and for good reason. But they were interesting stories nonetheless. Some of them, not as much as others. But when you talk about, for instance, Brad Johnson. Brad Johnson, the lowest drafted quarterback to win the Super Bowl. Again, ninth round selection. When there were 12 rounds in the draft. You go back even further in the you know, 40s, there were upwards of 30-something rounds because of the the, uh, the the world war that was going on, right? They needed to pick as many guys as they needed to because they had no idea who they'd be able to bring in. But uh, he was 227th overall. And then you fast forward to 2002. He's now with Tampa Bay because he played with the Vikings at one time, right? Um, Super Bowl 37 versus the Oakland Raiders. Again, you had Rich Gannon and, and that great offense that they had that year left over from John Gruden who's now the coach of the Buccaneers and he's got Brad Johnson and he did enhance that offense but you know time showed truth be told that that was definitely Tony Dungy's team that was built more so for defense and the offense needed a little bit of a shot in the arm and they got it at least for a year but that defense is what won that game Brad Johnson did his job he threw two touchdown passes but when you're in your team, your defense intercepts Rich Gannon five times and has 21 points worth of pick sixes and five sacks. I mean, sometimes all you got to do is hand the football off and pick up a first down here and there. And Oakland came into that game as three and a half point favorites and he lost 48 to 21. The Bucs, they took that one and ran with it. Uh, then there's like another, a loser, a one on the losing end. That was a long-time quarterback for a while. You go back to 1988, third round, the Indianapolis, Indianapolis Colts select quarterback Chris Chandler. He played 17 years in the league, and he played for seven teams. His sixth team is where he had his most success. I remember him more so because when he played with Houston, ended up being obviously the Tennessee Titans because I was looking at the uh, you know the drafting of Aaron McNair, Steve McNair, and he was the heir apparent <laughs> um, to Chandler. Chandler was there as duct tape. He was he was just there to hold it together until McNair was ready. And uh, but when Chandler went off to Atlanta, he was a two-time Pro Bowler in '97 and '98. 1998, 13 and one as a starter. They upset 
the Minnesota Vikings, who were, speaking of one-loss teams, they were supposed to be the favorite to go. It would have been a great Super Bowl, I think. The Vikings and the Broncos, um, they beat them in the NFC Championship game. And uh, speaking of which, the Broncos, you know, the Dirty Birds, they go into to that game, head coached by Dan Reeves. That was the team he coached for 12 years, including John Elway, uh, for most of those, a good number of those years. And uh, the Broncos, they were seven and a half point favorites, right? And they weren't going to let Jamal Anderson run all over the lot, which you know, he got a little bit of play in there, but they lost 33 to 19. And Chandler didn't really have a chance. I mean, he was sacked twice and intercepted three times. That was John Elway's last game, and Chandler was a part of it, <laughs> a big part of it. But I'd like to go back even further. You know, let's go back to 1980. Matter of fact, we could start in the 70s. Talking about the Miami Dolphins, Don Shula in the 70s, that team had aged out. And then obviously they had important players that either retired and they or they just left. And Bob Greasy was one of the few that was still left over. By 1980, and after that season actually, is when Bob Greasy retired. He had an injury. It was about that time. Remember, he started wearing those goggles, right? Back in, in the late 70s or whatever. Um, but they, that same year, they drafted David Woodley in the eighth round. 214th overall. Uh, by 1982, the strike season, Shulett has that team back in the Super Bowl with Woodley as the quarterback. And Woodley was the youngest quarterback ever to start a Super Bowl at that time at 24 years old in three months. They lost. They, they got the trash beat out of them. And Woodley was part of the problem. So 27 to 17, and they were in that game. And I think it was more so because, well, Woodley threw a first quarter touchdown pass. And um, that was one of four completions that he would have the entire game. That entire first half, as a matter of fact. They didn't complete. The Dolphins did not complete a pass in the second half. Only uh, interception. That was it in the second half. Zero completions. The reason why you go and draft Dan Marino. I mean, even though Woodley had a decent record as a starter, feel me. I mean, I feel you when you criticize certain quarterbacks. Well, yeah, he's got a winner record, yeah, but he doesn't win. I mean, he wins, but he don't win the big games. Totally understand that. I get it. And Woodley was 27 and 12. Well, 27, 12, and 1 as a starter, but Shula knew the guy couldn't complete passes on a complete uh, on a consistent basis. So that's why you draft him. Fast forward a couple of years, you got Doug Williams. Well, let's go backwards, though, shall we? That team that, that coach won his first Super Bowl, Joe Gibbs, with the Washington Redskins. Remember, this is a historical show. Uh, I'll do respect. But Williams was, he was scouted and actually was visited by Joe Gibbs, the only one to go down to see him in Grambling. And Gibbs at the time was Tampa Bay's offensive coordinator and quarterback coach. Made Doug Williams the first African-American quarterback drafted in the first round in 78. The next year, they're in the NFC Championship game already. Ferragamo and those guys beat Doug Williams 9-0. A bunch of field goals, three field goals. Beat them 9-0 in the NFC Championship game on their way to Super Bowl XIV. Uh, Williams clearly outplay, uh, outplayed his contract. And the owner, Hugh Culverhouse, didn't want to pay the man what he was worth. Remember, there were 28 quarterbacks, 28 in the league. There 28 teams, 28 starters, Doug Williams being one of them, 
Why is Doug Williams the 54th highest paid quarterback in the league? Backups are being paid more than him. Backups. That's bad. Obviously, you know, Doug said, you know what, can't do this no more. And for a while, he was out of football. He, he played in the USFL before it folded in 1986. And that same year, Washington brought him in. Guess who called him up? Joe Gibbs. Hey, Douglas, come on in here. He ended up being the backup for those two years, 86 and 87, um, to Jay Schrader. Schrader got them in 86 to the NFC Championship game. And uh, Williams was a part of that squad, by the way. Um, but he was tired of being behind Schrader. He wanted to play. He had a chance to play with the Raiders and was trying to get traded there. But Gibbs said, no way, we're not doing that. Um, but eventually, because Jay Schrader was coming up a little bit short in games and Williams played sparingly in that season. But by the postseason, he ended up being named the starter for obvious reasons. He was playing better than Jay Schrader. And all he does is win Super Bowl MVP in Super Bowl 42, had a leg, oh, excuse me, 22, had a legendary second quarter, a second quarter that nobody else has ever matched in that 42 to 10 beatdown of the Denver Broncos and John Elway. And um, and this is even after he twisted his knee and hurt himself, but set Super Bowl records with yards, threw four touchdowns. He had 340 yards passing for the game. First black quarterback to not only play in the Super Bowl, but also to win it and then win MVP. But you take it back the year before. Let's go back to 1986 again. Jeff Hostetler, um, he was drafted in the fourth round out of West Virginia as a quarterback. Up until, you know, going up to 1990, the guy had only started twice and had was getting zero reps. Why? Because Phil Sims was the quarterback. He was the man. Uh, in 86, he was sitting in the stands, right? So for those who read that New York Post article, no, he didn't take over for Phil Sims in 86. In 86, in that Super Bowl game, he was in the stands in street clothes watching the game because he didn't even get to dress for Super Bowl 21 in that win. But you go to 1990 in that season, uh, if you watch the America's game, he's like, yeah, I about had it. You know, he wanted to be out of there or he was going to quit the team. But he stuck in there. And Sims had gotten hurt, um, you know, another what, one or two other times during that season. I know at least once. But in week 14, he breaks his foot. Haas, he ends up starting, going in and filling in, in that game and starting the final two regular season games. In the postseason, they beat Chicago in the divisional round. They upset San Francisco in the NFC Championship game. And then you got two backups. You got Jeff Hosteller at quarterback and a 33-year-old running back, Otis Anderson. Used to be known as OJ when he played for the Cardinals and was an all-pro level running back. They upset the Buffalo Bills in Super Bowl 25. I still remember uh, feeling the sting of that because I was not rooting for the Giants that day because I liked Andre Reid. Um, they they won 20-19 because another kicker for Buffalo missed the field goal. Sorry. And, of course, Hostetler goes on. He made one Pro Bowl in his career, and that was with the L.A. Raiders in 93 when he finally got to be a starter. He was a serviceable guy. Wasn't a great quarterback. But with all of these, you know, with Doug Williams and Jeff Hostetler, enjoy the story. And I think it was a pretty interesting story with David Woodley because uh, I always wondered where did that kid come from I just wanted to know his backstory but we're still in 1986 Mark Rippon was drafted in the 6th round that year but he missed the whole season because he was on IR right? Doug Williams 
He gets injured the year after they win the Super Bowl in 1988. And guess who gets named the starter and is the starter going forward? Yes, Mark Rippon ends up with his job. He makes the Pro Bowl in 1989 the next year. By 91, Washington is the best team in the league. Best. He finished with a 14-2 record. He's a Pro Bowler. Um, he actually four, finishes fourth in MVP voting and Offensive Player of the Year voting. And he was a second-team All-Pro. They go to the Super Bowl. They give Buffalo their second consecutive loss in the Super Bowl. He wins the MVP. Um, and this is all before, you know, yes, he didn't play as well. And obviously, Washington's record kind of started deteriorating after that. And of course, Joe Gibbs ended up being gone, too. Uh, but so did Rippin. Rippin played for a bunch of the teams after that. Cleveland, he had two trips to the Rams. Philadelphia, Atlanta, Indianapolis, Seattle, you name it. He played. He had a lot of bumper stickers on his butt. But, I mean, the story of Rippin, at least for that little bit of time, it was great. It was great watching that. And I think the greatest story of all was Kurt Warner. Undrafted, this guy is bagging groceries at $5 a pop. Before that, he plays in the Arena League for the Iowa Barnstormers. You, you, I mean, fans should know this story, right? NFL Europe with the Amsterdam Admirals. By 98, he ends up with the St. Louis Rams. Uh, he's third string. The next year, Trent Green, whom they had brought in, he tears up his knee in the preseason. Warner is named the starter. And then he wasn't known as the greatest show on turf until Kurt Warner got there. His first year starting, his first year, week one, you are the starter, right? He does nothing more but just, I mean, all he does is he, it's the NFL's leading passer. They scored 526 points that year. I think that was an NFL record at the time. 4,353 yards passing, 41 touchdowns. The guy wins NFL MVP and then turns around and wins Super Bowl MVP. And I know Titans fans, that one hurt, and it hurt me too when I saw, you know, one yard short, one yard short. They beat Tennessee 23 to 16. NFL, uh, a Super Bowl record, 414 yards passing that day. So, you know, pretty good. 2001, more of the same. He wins another MVP, has 4,800 yards passing, 36 more touchdowns. Uh, they lose to Tom Brady <laughs> in that game where they were obviously uh, favored. Um, but uh, I think his his greatest his, his greatest year, uh, that really the one that put him in the Hall of Fame was 2008 when he was with the Arizona Cardinals. He got them to the Super Bowl, and if it hadn't been for Big Ben with the comeback, you know, and the touchdown pass at the end of that game, um, you know, Arizona, he, he gets his, uh, he's not only in his third Super Bowl, he gets his second ring. But at the end of his career, a four-time Pro Bowler and two-time first-team All-Pro, he gets elected into the Pro Football Hall of Fame in 2017. I mean, they made a movie out of this. I mean, come on, they made a movie out of this. All right, and Warner's backup—that would it. This was a pretty good story too. This whole uh, show, by the way, is kind of a almost a rehash, I guess, with a different flavor of not bad for a backup. Go back to that episode that I did. But Jake DeLome, he was Warner's backup in in Amsterdam. So you know, and while Warner is leading the Rams to a Super Bowl season. He's laboring two years in New Orleans. 
I think where he's from and played in college too. But by 2003, another quarterback that is replaced at halftime of a game, not the AFC Championship, you know, like Earl Morrill, but um, they made he's with Carolina by now. And Rodney Pete playing against his old team in Detroit, he gets replaced at halftime. And DeLome ends up being the starter going forward. He finishes 10 and 5 that season. They go through the playoffs. They beat the Cowboys in the wild card. They beat the Rams. No Warner by then. I think by then, Kurt Warner was playing with the with the New York Giants. They beat them in the division round in the NFC Championship. They beat the Philadelphia Eagles. You know, Super Bowl 38, shootout with Tom Brady and the New England Patriots. And the, they almost won that game. They came back and they're going back and forth. They tied the game at 29. And um, I mean, DeLome, was part of the reason for that. He throws for 323 yards. That second half, the guy just went off. You had to watch it to, to understand it. Uh, and throws three touchdowns. Yeah, he had Steve Smith Sr. He had Moose Muhammad, uh, Foster running back. They had a great defense. I mean, that, that Carolina Panthers team was pretty good. So, um, but if it wasn't for Adam Vinatieri's field goal with four seconds left, maybe, just maybe, DeLome has a chance of being another one of those great stories and obviously uh going forward he ended up playing 11 years total in the league and he was a pro bowler in 2005 seven years in carolina he's in the carolina hall of honor throw through for over 20,000 yards in his career that's pretty good the guy the stories the stories you don't know where these guys came from and speaking of which i mean well you don't know how their their careers would have their career arc would have been. We all know about Tom Brady, right? Six round pick, 199. Drew Bledsoe gets hurt, takes over, gets the, the Super Bowl, uh, the Patriots to the Super Bowl, and they win a championship against Kurt Warner and the greatest show on turf in Vinatieri's first uh, game winning field goal in the Super Bowl. That's pretty good. And nobody knew that this dude would go on to play 23 years. 10 Super Bowl. He started 10 Super Bowls, man. 10. 10. The next closest is John Elway with five. So, <laughs> and Patrick Mahomes, he's so great. This dude is in his fourth Super Bowl, and that's pretty good for his first six years. It's pretty good. That's great. That's awesome, right? But nobody knew about Tom Brady. 23 years, 10 Super Bowls, seven rings, and he did it with two different teams. He, got, he won one. What people didn't think that he probably would with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They weren't supposed to win it that year. If you are really being honest, as my brother would say, quiet is kept. You know, so you you got a great squad, um, but a great quarterback that can lead your squad to 10 Super Bowls? You didn't know this. Seven-time champion, five-time Super Bowl MVP, a three-time NFL MVP, 15-time Pro Bowler, six-time all pro and only one losing season which was in 2022 god knows how many records widely regarded as the greatest quarterback of all time nobody knew that even if you whether you believe that or not i mean doesn't matter but you can't take away what the guy did as a sixth round pick a sixth round pick and then kurt warner undrafted jake delone undrafted you know nobody knew this stuff and it all started with that Super Bowl 36 win against the Rams to begin a dynasty in New, New England. You know, and that was in his first season 
as a starter. If Brock Purdy wins this Sunday, he will become only the third quarterback in history to win a Super Bowl championship in his first year of starting. Again, enjoy the story. Celebrate it instead of tearing it down. Golly, just get out of here with that. And, you know, of course, Brady and Kurt Warner, those are the other two. Could he? Would he? I don't know. We'll find out this time next week. We'll be able to talk about something. <laughs> That's it. References. Thanks to ESPN.com, ProFootballHallOfFame.com, StatMuse.com, and also ProFootballReference.com, one of my favorites. Also, Yard Barker. Yard Barker, the greatest backup quarterbacks in NFL history. This one was written by Sam Robinson. Also, the New York Times. Greasy Hurt, Moral Excels. This is by Thomas Rogers. This was written October 16th, 1972. The Charlotte Observer, exclusive Jake DeLome on life football and his similarities with Baker Mayfield. Ooh, all right. By Jake Fowler, November 16th, 2022. Also, the New York Post, Brock Purdy, not only long shot quarterback to start in Super Bowl by Don, excuse me, Dan Martin. Also, NFL Films, I'll just, just wrap it all up together. America's Game, the Super Bowl, love that series, and also Super Bowl Memories by Steve Sable. And one book, The Sporting News, complete Super Bowl book, 1993 edition, editors Tom Dinert, I wanna say Tom, don't I? Tom Dinert, Joe Hopple, and Dave Sloan. And finally, my eyes, ears, and brain. This has been the Behind the Mic Podcast presented by Belly Up Sports. Belly Up Media, Belly Up Sports Podcast Network, bellyupsports.com. Again, go to it, click on it, check out the merch, the stories, the shows, especially this one. And you can find us all on Megaphone. That's our home. And the favorites, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and YouTube. Tell your friends and family about my show, about this show, or I'll be forced to find your house. You hear that knock? It's me. I'm out. I'm out.